0: I'd like to welcome all of you to worship again today, especially those of you in the traditional service or those of you joining us online or on TV. It's good for us to be able to worship together as a church family and to study the Word of God together like this. Today, we are beginning a new sermon series called Collide for Lent. All year long, we are focusing on the way of Jesus and how we can learn to follow Him and how the seasons, the different seasons of the church here, help us to grow as followers of Christ Each season has a little bit different of an emphasis. Lent is a season that helps us to focus on some of the more uncomfortable realities of being a human. Lent is really a season that's a lot like winter. Now, growing up in Virginia, I thought I knew about winter. (laughs) I thought I even liked winter. Winter was a season that lasted about two months out of the year. It rarely got below 30 degrees. And whenever it snowed or really smelled like snow, we would get out of school, sometimes for a week at a time. It was awesome. We would sit at home drinking hot chocolate and watching movies and taking naps. And the whole world shut down. (laughs) The only bad experience I had in the winter was when I went on a ski trip with my youth group. And I remember growing up playing sports, I thought skiing would be an easy thing to pick up. And I pictured myself going gracefully down the mountain You know, going side to side and just having a great time and maybe going over some jumps. Well, what really happened is (laughs) I'm glad I didn't collide with a tree. I was just a moving snowball going full speed ahead. I couldn't go side to side. I would just go as fast as I could until I fell over. By the end of the time, I really just looked like this. I was just unhappy and I decided I just wanted to stay indoors, stay away from the winter sports and just wait until winter was over to go back outside. Well, then I moved to Minnesota. <laughs> and I realized I couldn't avoid the winter. People tried to prepare me, but I really didn't know until I experienced it for myself. And I went outside in the negative degree weather, and you feel that singe in your nose, and the shiver in your bones, and you just can't wait until you get in, inside again. I just didn't, I wasn't prepared. You know, people sent us lots of emails trying to prepare us for the right clothes and putting chains on our car and to get ready for winter. But, you know, when our our kids got here, they were really just scared out of their minds. Our our youngest daughter is, uh, she was up here sitting next to me. She's almost four. And every time she goes from the garage, uh, from the house into the garage, she goes, oh no, we're gonna get frostbite. (laughs) And we've tried to help her learn that we don't really have to be worried about that. it's going to be okay. You know, winter's something we can't avoid. You know, it's uncomfortable. It's sometimes painful. And living in Minnesota has made me realize that I need to adapt and, and be prepared for it. You know, in, in Lent, this season in the life of the church is a lot like that. It helps us to be prepared to deal with the painful realities of life. The reality that there is sin and suffering and evil in the world that all of us Fall short of what God wants for our lives, and that those things aren't going away until Jesus returns. You know, if we're not careful in the church, we can talk about things like it's supposed to always be springtime, and that there's something wrong in our lives if there are difficult things that are happening. And and Lent helps correct that. It helps us to prepare our hearts to see our need for a Savior, and, and to follow Jesus in his journey to the cross, and just see how different his way is, his kingdom is, from the ways. We choose as human beings to operate our lives apart from him. And so during this journey of Lent as a congregation, we're going to be following Jesus to the cross, looking at a different encounter with him and somebody else every week where we see our need to turn back from our ways to follow Jesus. And that's why he picked the image of Collide, to help us see the stark difference between Jesus' way and our way. So as we start that journey this morning, would you guys just pray with me for a moment? God, I thank you that you've come to bring a different way, a different kingdom, a new life to us. And Lord, I pray that we would just see our need for you and that you would prepare us to go through the winters of our lives in the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, this morning we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16. If you want to turn there in your Bible, it's on page 1438. We're just going to be going through that together, looking at this significant conflict that Dina read between Peter and Jesus, you know, Jesus, when he came, he started proclaiming and demonstrating what the kingdom of God is like. He was doing all kinds of incredible things. He was teaching this way that was forgiving enemies and forgiving sins and welcoming outcasts back to God, and and sick people were being healed, and dead people were being raised to life, and this was an exciting thing to be a part of. I I can only imagine as his first disciples, But then there comes a turning point in the Gospels about halfway through each one when he lets them know that his kingdom is going to come ultimately by going to die on the cross and rise from the dead. And that was a surprising thing to them. You can see that here. It says this, From that time on, Jesus began to to explain to his disciples, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now, for most of us in our culture, one of the things... People know about Jesus is that he came to die on the cross for our sins. In fact, this last week, we asked some of the kids in our church of different ages what their favorite thing is about Jesus, and we wanted to share a little video about their responses. So we're going to watch that now. My name is Trevor. My favorite thing about Jesus is everything. favorite thing about Jesus. That he takes care of me. He died on the cross for us. Don't make him harder. Hi, my name is Sarah, and my favorite thing about Jesus is that he will come again one day to save us all. What's your favorite thing about Jesus? Probably how he saved all of us, no matter what we did. Hi, my name is Patrick, and my favorite thing about Jesus is that he loved me. Mm, that he was born in a stable and that they wouldn't let him. Being a hotel because they were all full. Hey, what's your name? Jack. And what grade are you in? Fifth. What's your favorite thing about Jesus? It's kind of a hard choice. Really, everything. My name is Brooke, and My favorite thing about Jesus is you can talk to him whenever you want to. Um. He um. Um. My favorite thing about Jesus is. That he died for us and was on the cross for us, and he will always love you no matter what. It's a great video, you know, and I'm so glad that kids in our church know that Jesus loves them and came, come, has come to take care of them and that they can talk to him, and he died on the cross for their sins. But you know, this was not what the first disciples were expecting. This was a shock to them. Actually, when Jesus started announcing to them this plan, You can see them having a lot of conflict with Jesus here. Peter actually takes Jesus aside and says, he begins to rebuke him. and says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. There is a conflict between their way and their expectations about God and what Jesus came to bring and what he was trying to show them about God. And I want us to step into the disciples' shoes this morning, to try to understand why this was so shocking and surprising to them as we begin to think about what this means in our lives. In this moment, Jesus had just taken his disciples away from their normal life and had taught them about his true identity as the Messiah, the promised king of Israel. And they had expected this Messiah to come for hundreds of years and to wipe out the Romans and to set up God's kingdom on earth. And so as he tells them that, They must have been so excited. They had waited for, for this for a long time. And then he also tells them that they have a significant part to play in establishing this kingdom, that their lives are a part of his plans. Jesus says this to Peter just before this conflict. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven based on who they were, or who he was in their life, the worst things in the world weren't going to overcome this movement called the church. That this was a compelling vision that he was giving them. And it becomes even more compelling when we see the historical backdrop of the place he took them to, to give them this vision. Now, this story takes place in a region known as Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a Roman stronghold about 25 miles north of the place they normally spent time near the Sea of Galilee. And this was a place that symbolized a collision of kingdoms of different ways of life. Caesarea Philippi was a stronghold that kept Rome's power throughout the Israeli-Palestinian area. It was a major trade route, and so there were lots of different cultures and ideas about God there. And this is where Rome kept control. It also was a place that was an epicenter of pagan religion and different ideas about God. You can actually see a little drawing of some of the temples that were in this area. And There is this big mountain that some of the temples came out of to Zeus and Jupiter and, and the God of Pan. And the temple to the God of Pan had a very famous um, passageway in it that was known literally as the gates of hell. And I actually brought a picture that is from a trip that my dad and I took to Israel uh, a few years ago of the literal gates of hell. And and this was the passageway to the underworld and the people of this time's understanding. And every year there were festivals to the god of Pan, who was the guardian of the underworld. And there was just incredible immorality and debauchery that happened at these festivals. It was just a center of paganism. This was a place where good God-freeing people would never go. You saw some of the worst things there and this is the place that Jesus took his disciples to to cast the vision for his church and said on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it and you can picture the disciples looking at the little literal gates of hell and thinking whoa how is this going to happen there's only 12 of us and here's the Roman Empire the mightiest empire in the world how are we going to overcome this Jesus what's the plan We don't really have any weapons. How can we ever overcome these forces? So then, when Jesus tells them the plan, the plan is, I'm going to suffer and die on a cross, and three days later, be raised to life. And that you guys are going to learn to follow in my way, and that's how I'm going to overcome these forces. You can see why they were surprised. Why Peter takes them aside and says, Never, Lord! I'll never let this happen to you. But we can also see why Jesus is so strong in his response to Peter. This is one of the strongest rebukes that you find in Scripture. Jesus looks straight into Peter's eyes and says, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but merely human concerns. Peter was completely unaware that he was standing opposed to Jesus' plan for saving the world in this moment. But Jesus wanted Peter to know, even in his good intentions, that this was the plan. His life was the plan. Learning to follow him in his way to the cross is the plan. And you know, when we think about Jesus, we often don't think about conflict. When we watch that video of the little kids, we don't think... Our favorite thing about Jesus is he gets into conflict with us when we're off track right? But when we read the Gospels, conflict really is everywhere. One of my professors at Fuller Seminary told me that there are 48 accounts of conflict between Jesus and different forces in the New Testament. He conflicts with the religious leaders of his time. He conflicts with the evil spirits. He conflicts with the political leaders of his time. And here we see, and time and time again, conflict with his disciples. And every time he has conflict, you see clarity on the difference between his way and the other ways we operate our lives apart from him. Conflict has the opportunity to bring a lot of clarity into our life. You know, conflict is not something that we enjoy as human beings. The people that really do enjoy conflict, I'm a little bit scared of them personally, you know. It's sometimes scary to go into conflict. There's risk involved and there can be pain there. But conflict can really help us grow. And I think we experience this in our human relationships. Those of us that are married, I don't know about you, but my first couple years of marriage, there was a lot of conflict. I had to learn a lot of lessons the hard way. And I remember one particular moment. It was the moment when we were purchasing our first house, and Danielle and I were, were sitting in the office with the realtor, and we were getting ready to sign the papers, and she looks over at me and she says, wait, we're actually buying this house? And I said okay, time out. (laughs) We need to take a step back here. Uh, We need to talk. And so we were able to step back and clarify what was going on and clarify our expectations and what we wanted to agree upon. And it really helped us go in a different direction. And conflict can really help us do that. If it's handled poorly, it, it can cause even more pain. But if it's handled well, it can help us grow. And I really believe in this conflict, Jesus loved his disciples enough to go into it with them so that they could learn some significant lessons for their life and what he wanted for them. And as before we close, I'd like to highlight just a few lessons I think Jesus was really trying to to teach his disciples through this conflict. The first one is that his ultimate conflict is with Satan. Is anybody else surprised when he said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter? Well, I think Jesus is really trying to wake up his disciples to the great cosmic conflict that he came to bring victory to. That the, the Bible is a story... Uh, that is about God as its main character, bringing victory over the powers that we can't defeat. Sin, evil, death, and the devil himself. And the Bible doesn't talk a lot about Satan, but it does say some very clear things. It says some of these things. I, I brought some scriptures to share with you. Well, actually, these are some the images about Satan that you can find in the New Testament. Satan is our enemy. He's our adversary. He's the evil one. Jesus calls him in John 8:44, "A murderer, a liar and the father of lies." In Revelation 12:9, it says he's a deceiver. Paul and the other apostles call him things like the God of this age and the prince or the ruler of the world, and that he masquerades as an angel of light, seeking to deceive us and blind our minds from the truth of the gospel and what God has come to save us and change our hearts and lives in Jesus Christ. Paul says that we need to take our stand against the devil's schemes that we need to be aware that we're in this great spiritual battle. And that Jesus is telling his disciples in this conflict that he's come to defeat the power that none of us are capable of defeating. I mean, when you look around at our world, sometimes it's overwhelming the amount of evil that is out there, isn't it? When we look at the last two centuries... We have had so much progress in science, and technology, and the arts, and civilization, but some of the worst atrocities in human history have happened in the last two centuries. World Wars, the Holocaust, genocide, terrorism, nuclear bombs, school shootings. It doesn't seem to be getting much better. There is evil that is out there that we need a power stronger than ourselves to defeat. That no amount of our good attentions, our power of positive thinking, our human reasoning has figured out how to defeat these powers. And Jesus is telling his disciples that he has come on a collision course with the author of evil in our world. And that he is telling Satan to get behind him. And the way to victory and freedom is behind Jesus. He describes his mission in the Gospels in direct contrast to Satan. In John 10.10, 10, he says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, that we have an enemy of our souls that's trying to steal peace and joy and the reasons that God has created us for, to live in his love, but we have a savior who's stronger, who's come to lead us back to life. And he's trying to show them that in this collision. The other thing he's trying to show them is that each one of us is capable of being on the wrong side of this battle. Isn't it significant that the person that Jesus promises to build his church on is the first person that Jesus rebukes for being on the wrong side with Satan? And I think there is a really significant lesson for all of us to learn here that all of us are capable of falling into deception and sin and falling farther away from God than we ever imagined. That even in our good intentions, we can be opposed to Jesus and try to get him on our side to be baptizing and supporting our plans that Jesus never wanted to support or baptized in the first place. And Jesus loves Peter enough to say, get behind me, Satan, to rebuke that influence in his life when he is unaware of it. I had a mentor of mine that once said to me that the moment we think we're incapable of any particular sin is the moment we're that much closer to making that sin, that all of us are capable of falling. And that's one of the reasons why God has given us the church is that as a community, we're to come together to seek the strength and the power that only Jesus can give us and to fight for God's desires in our lives, to fight for God's desires in our marriages, as parents, wherever we are in our different stages of life, that we would know the joy and the love and the peace of Jesus. And that can only happen in community that Jesus promises the gates of hell will not overcome us. And you know, one day Peter really got this message. It sunk into his heart, and he realized the reality of the spiritual battle that the church is in. He writes this to the early church in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering." God doesn't want us to be surprised that we're going to encounter suffering and temptation. That's not going away until Jesus returns. But He wants to show us the way to life. And that's the third thing I want to emphasize here that Jesus clarifies for his disciples, is He, he came to show them the difference between His way and His kingdom in the ways of the world and every other way that sets itself up in opposition to him. And it can be summarized in this one verse in Matthew 16, 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That not only is Jesus laying down his life out of love for a broken world that desperately needs a saver, but he's calling men and women who would follow him to give their lives, to pour their lives out, starting with those closest around us in love for them like Jesus, of learning to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him in love for God and for each other. And one way we can know in our lives that we are actually growing in spiritual maturity is not just the number of church services that we've come to or the number of religious boxes that we've checked off the list, but we're actually growing in a cross-shaped love in our relationship with God in each other, in our daily relationships. That we're learning to deny ourselves and love those closest to us and those farthest from us, even our enemies, with the love of Christ. And that's the kind of maturity that Jesus wants to bring into our lives. And it almost goes without saying that this is a very countercultural idea. Would we not agree with that? That in our world, there is a culture... And an idea system that glorifies self-love and instant gratification in the easy way of loving people when it feels good for us and when it makes us look good or seem successful. But that's not the Jesus way. My dad is a lawyer back in Virginia and he likes to send me different articles from time to time. He sent me an article a couple months ago that was titled, How We're Raising a Generation of Deluded Narcissists. And I thought the title was funny and I read through it and I just I wanted to share that with you because I think we need to be aware that our culture is raising our kids in a me-centered world that can lead us off the path of life very easily. And as, as adults and parents, we need to be people that model the way of the cross. People that are willing to come down on their level and help them learn to follow the Jesus way. And that takes a lot of grace and a lot of love and a lot of patience and a lot of conflict. <laughs> of helping them learn. But that's a beautiful vision God's given us. And since the first century, since the beginning of time, we have an enemy that's been trying to take us off on an easier, easier way to believe that some people aren't really worth loving, that we should love people only when it feels good to us. We should love people that only deserve it. But thank God for Jesus. Thank God that that is not the Jesus way. Thank God that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, and poured his life out out of love for you and me. And he stands at our lives to rebuke Satan's influences, say, get behind me, Satan. I want to teach you the way to life and the way to love that comes by taking up your cross. And as a church, we need to help each other live, live into that because that's how the world sees Jesus. How's the cross colliding with you today? Let's pray together. God, I I just thank you for your love, that you've come to defeat the powers that we're incapable of. God, I just thank you that you're stronger and that your blood has been shed for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord. And I just pray that your spirit would give us the strength that only you can to resist the schemes and deception, to become free from the lies that come at us from the evil one. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.